Hello and welcome to the Southside Church podcast. For more information about Southside Church located in Cape Town, South Africa, visit southsidechurch.co.za. We hope that you enjoy the message. The theme of today as we begin these four weeks leading up to Christmas is the theme of love. And so today I want to speak a little bit about love. Yeah, baby. Love. How do you preach on love? I can try and convince you that God loves you so much, but how do you measure that? And it's interesting to read how the dictionary defines love and how we understand it as humans. It says of love in the dictionary, it's a profound, tender, passionate affection for another person. Another description from the dictionary says it's a feeling of warm personal attachment or a deep affection as for a child or a parent or friend. One definition of love from the dictionary says it's a sexual passion or desire. The verb says to have love or affection for another person, to be in love. And this love, this Barry White love, inspires our culture with our songs. I will, what is it, dive on a bomb for you, jump in front of a train for you. It's like we sing these songs, you know, it's like, like we watch these movies, like, like The Notebook. She's like, cried through The Notebook. It's like deep love. Eh? We, this love is defined by the dictionary that's accepted and, and, and often experienced in our humanity is, is inspiring our movies. It's expi- inspiring our songs and the novels we read. But then we get this weird interruption of this gushy love that ends with everyone being happily ever after when God suddenly tells us that we are to love differently. And this freaks me out because I'm going like, God, what you call me to do doesn't sound like the kind of love I like. Because God says to us, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that in Matthew 5, 44, you are to love your enemy. And then, and then God says things in Mark chapter 12, verse 30 to 31, like we are simply to love our neighbor. And I'm going, wait, wait, God, because your idea of the way you want me to love is very different from the kind of love defined by the dictionary. You see, loving my enemy or just randomly loving my neighbor or the other humans I exist with doesn't meet the requirements of those definitions of love we just read. It's accepted by humanity. In fact, it's not just accepted by humanity. It's the kind of love I like personally. The love where it feels good. Where I'm getting some form of affection or acknowledgement from. So why is it so difficult for us to actually love the way God wants us to? And the answer is because, I don't want to give you the answer now. Sorry, I want to change my notes quick. So, so, so God expects us to love our enemy and our neighbor 
without all that affectionate, gushy stuff. And I'm like, God, why do you expect us to love like you could love? I mean, you are God, duh. So it's maybe a little bit easier. The reason why God expects us to love this way is because that's the way God loves you. When you're his enemy, or when you're just like a neighbor that doesn't really take notice, drive into your driveway, quickly security gate, get behind, you don't even want to see them. Because that's the way God loved us when we were sinners and and messed up with the stains and the stench of our sin. Because that's the way God loves you every day. Meaning when you came in here this morning, no matter what you did last night, you could still raise your hands in worship because he's worthy of praise. And somehow by his grace, he sees you forgiven and washed of your sin by the blood of Jesus. That is why God expects us to embrace this love that contradicts the love that the world defines as good. That's why we're called to love our enemy and just love the random other humans in existence. Because he loves us that way. But our understanding of love in our humanity tends to say that I love you because I need you. Whereas God says I need you because I love you. See, God, I don't want to do that thing because I, I, don't, like, I don't love like everyone because I don't need all these people in my life. I don't need to like, like love my enemy. In fact, I need to just punch them in the face, God. But, but you see, that's how we live. We operate saying, well, I love because I need you because there's something I get. There's a need that's fulfilled. There's a feeling that's affirmed. But God says, no, no, my child, I need you because I loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever would believe in him would then not perish but have eternal life. He loved us and he needs us because of a love. We often love because of what we need. He loved and defined it by what he gave. We love and define it by what we get. So we don't fully understand this kind of love. And we default to our definition of love as something driven by affection or desire. We understand loving someone or something because of its benefits to us. You make me feel like a natural woman. That's why I love you, baby. Because the way you make me feel, I had the time of my life. Well, you had the time of your life feeling so good, didn't you? Every love song is wrapped in the idea that it's about something we get. And here we see a God telling us that we're to live with a love that only gives. John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, writes, God's love must be wonderful beyond comprehension. God could quite justly have abandoned us to our fate. He could have left us alone to to reap the fruit of our wrongdoing and to perish in our sins. It is what we deserved, but he did not. Because he loved us, he came after us in Christ. We think like we're looking for the Lord Maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, Gron, I'm just trying to find God. I'm just trying to find purpose. I need you to know that you don't have to find anything because purpose and truth and hope came to find you in a baby crying in an animal's feeding trough through Christ Jesus. God loved you so much that you didn't have to pursue him. He pursued you. 
He pursued us even to the desolate anguish of the cross, John Stott goes on, where he bore our sin, guilt, judgment, and death. It takes a hard and stony heart to remain unmoved by love like that. It is more than love. Its proper name is grace, which is love to the undeserving. This is the problem with God's love in our heads. It is undeserving. And as humans, we can't understand things without being measured on a scale of some sort. Things can't exist, right or wrong, good or bad. You do this, and I'll do that. I pay this, you give me that. And suddenly there's a love here that is undeserving. In fact, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you might struggle to accept God's grace and forgiveness for something you've done. Because in your head, the idea of undeserving grace and love is something you're going to struggle with in your humanity. We struggle because it's undeserving. And as humans... Listen to this part. It's undeserving. We struggle with that. And as humans, we tend only to accept the love we think we deserve. Meaning that's all that we can give to others. I can't give more love than I'm willing to accept. I can't give you more than I have in the container. And the issue with us as humans is we tend to accept love based on what we think we deserve. Well, he doesn't deserve that. I deserve this. I did it. We struggle to love the way God wants us to because we tend only to accept the love we think we deserve. Help me, Jesus. How many people have I robbed of the love of God because I myself live with a sense that I'm not good enough or haven't qualified or haven't got it right or have messed up too many times? How many times have I robbed others because of the sense that I have only given myself the measure of God's love based on what I think I'm worthy of? It's in our inaccurate definition of love upon which we measure the love we assume we are worthy of. Yet the reality is this, that from all eternity, it has been God's purpose that everyone discover their belovedness in the beloved. So how does God reshape our understanding of love? How does God reshape our understanding? We have a definition of what we think love is, and based on that, we determine how much we deserve, and with whatever portion we think we deserve, we're able to give to others. Because somewhere it's a deserved love instead of an undeserving love that comes from God, first and foremost. And so, how do we reshape our understanding of love so that we can get hold of the fact that it is undeserved, embrace it all? And give it back to those around us. Here's point number one. You see, when God sees love, he thinks of love as one way. Love is one way to God. It's not I give you and you give me. It's not if this happens, then I will. It is one way. He loved us from the beginning of all creation. Created in his image. He was thinking about delivering us from the time the Egyptians, were ta- the Israelites were taken out of Egypt. He loved us so much that he gave his son. 
Nowhere did we deserve it. While we were still sinners, he died for us, says the Bible. While we were sinners, we didn't first like fix ourselves and then sing hallelujah and get all our Christian stuff right. And then we were, it was undeserved and it's one way. That also means that no matter how much you've rejected God in your life, some people need to hear this. No matter how much you've rejected God, how badly you've messed up, right now, God's love for you is the same as it's always been. And it will never change. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. Are you crazy? If your enemy is hungry, laugh at him and punch him in the face. If your enemy is thirsty, make sure you close all the water bottles and lock your house so he can't get in. You see, you see if we love our enemy, it's one way. Because we don't make them not our enemy by loving them. We love them regardless. To God, love is one way. Number two, to, to God, love is driven by a choice. My favorite. I've taught on this to you. The greatest and m- most mature form of love is not your feelings. It's your choice. To love based on your feelings is a little bit of a cop-out because it's very easy when you feel like it. You know, it's like, go to gym. Okay. Put in the rocky music. Day one, you're all good. Go to gym when it's stormy outside. You've had a long day and you didn't eat well. Oh, man. And then you want to look at the end of the year and check how fit you got and meet your goals. The issue wasn't whether you could get fit and meet your goals. It's that you weren't committed to making and sticking with the choice. The same way love and the power of love is in the choice. Every day to love, to give. And we read in Ephesians 5, 25, it speaks to husbands, and I'm going to pull a principle here. It says, and to, to the husbands, you ought to demonstrate love for your wives in the same tender devotion that Christ demonstrated to us, his bride, for he died for us, sacrificing himself. If any man here has ever used Ephesians to make his wife submit to him, you haven't read that verse in its context. Because you love your wife like that, she'll be melting at your feet. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love us? Well, when Jesus was born in the flesh, I watched him, uh, based on the documented pages of history, spend 30 years in preparation before spending three years of his life changing the course of history, not just on earth, but into eternity. And in that three-year period, I watched him being mistreated, misunderstood, beaten, and mocked. And at one stage, I see Jesus just before his crucifixion, the act of his love for us, kneeling before his father and saying, can't you do this differently? So did Jesus feel like being crucified? Was he like, "Woo, you know, I'm just, I'm just feeling so in love. I can't wait to be crucified for you all. No. He actually said, God, is there another way? But then he, he silenced the flesh of his humanity he was living in. And he turned to his father and he said, but father, not my will, your will be done. He was saying, father, regardless of the way I feel, I choose to give my life because of my love for these people. And so husband, when you feel like praying this prayer, Lord, Can you take this cup away from me? (laughs) Default to looking to the Father and saying, but God, I will love because it's not my will, it's your will that I choose. The greatest form of your love 
is found in the choice. Number three, when God reshapes love, he says love is about giving, not getting. Galatians 5.13 says, For you have been called to live in freedom. My brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. God sees love as your act of giving, not getting. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Did we take Jesus and have a party for him? And then say, don't worry about the cross. Let's just celebrate you and lift you up and give him stuff. No, we didn't. He breathed his last breath, crying out, Father God, why have you forsaken me? He gave it all up to the point at which he died. A difficult death, never being acknowledged or celebrated. Woo! Okay, Jesus, we understand now. He gave it all without expecting anything back. Of course, for him, it's his love and the fact that we could come back to the Father. That was the ultimate prize. But his focus in his love was what he could give, not what he could get. That's how God defines love. And then thirdly, fourthly, um, God sees love as something that's unconditional. And this comes to that undeserving thing, like unconditional love. Like we don't understand that. There is a condition attached to your love. Who here loves your kids? Put up your hands if you love your kids. Parents can't help themselves if I talk about their kids. You only love them the way you do because they're your kids. That's the condition. It's like in who we are as humans. If your child was in front of a car and some other random kid you you saw also was there, you would focus on saving your child because you love them. Well done. Well, it's actually conditional. It's because they're your child. Try to comprehend unconditional love that you can't measure within your small human mind that has to understand an eternal God within the, time frame of, uh, within the frame of time and space. You can't. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 5 says, But God is so rich in his mercy that he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead, even though we were dead in our sins. Unconditionally, he came and raised Christ and gave us life. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved unconditional. Now, again, as I've shared these definitions of love with you, okay, it's one way. You you just give to everyone, okay? It's unconditional. I'm going like, how do you expect me to love like that, God? It's a little bit unreasonable. I don't know if anyone here is feeling like that's a little bit unreasonable, like, come on, dude, you know what that guy did to my family? Like, Like, do you understand? Well, I'm sitting here asking the question to myself, and then I feel like the Holy Spirit replies to me when I think God's a bit crazy to think I should love this way. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, the only reason that you are called to love like this, Grant, is because this is the way that you are loved. The only reason we are called to love others like this with this ridiculous love is because this is the way that we are loved. And some of you are sitting here right now and in your heads going, you're right. Because it's unconditional and you can't comprehend that. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 19, it says, we love because he loved us first. Okay, God. Some of you are going to have breakthrough in your marriages if you begin to love like this. 
because you're going to stop going for counseling where you try to fix your spouse. You're going to start focusing on yourself and giving what you can one way without expecting them to now do what you needed them to do. You're going to love them unconditionally when the feelings have gone because now you understand it's a choice I make every day. Where do you need to experience God's love and give it to others? Because you are loved that way by Jesus first. Our greatest enemy to loving others is our inability to accept God's love beyond what we feel we deserve. And there are many people right here today that don't feel worthy of the love of God. There are many people here today that feel like they've messed up or got it wrong or that they have a, a little bit of the portion of God's love, but that's all God has for them. I need you to hear me because some of you have grown up in homes where your worth and value was determined by what you did well or whether you did enough. You heard your parents saying things like, oh, you'll never match up to your brother or your sister. Or you had a dad that was absent at your rugby and you'd go home and say, dad, dad, I scored a try just hoping it was good enough to get some attention from him. There are many of you today that have had the idea of how much you're worthy to be loved based on experiences like that. You felt let down or you weren't affirmed or you were looked over. And you're measuring the love of God for your life based on that. When in fact you are drowning in the grace and love of God. A God that before you were born sent Jesus Christ to die so that you could be with him. So that even in your human experience, when you cried like a baby, the, the tears of Jesus could weep the same way as he was born in a manger. That when you're in that place feeling alone, he can hold your hand and in your humanity walk with you like he did in his human form when his mom one day would have held his hand. A God that was born to come into this and give you a love that can't be defined or understood. A God that's not waiting in heaven for you to take steps toward enlightenment or find the way to life, but himself came into the middle of your mess by being born in the flesh. I'm like, dude, like, like that's a bit drastic. It's like, it's like socially awkward that the creator of the universe would be born into the limitations of his own creation to walk, to have his, his baby teeth fall out as a kid, to run down the road and scrape his knee on the matter and the earth on a planet he created amongst the stars in all the universe. For him to be silent in a human body while his own humans that he created in his image from the place of the heavens mocked him without feeling he needed to defend himself. What kind of love could drive someone so crazy that they would go that far to get to you and me? It's the undeserving, relentless love of the creator of the universe that has made you in his image, that has a plan for your life beyond all you could ask or imagine. It's the love of a good father that's understanding in ways transcend what you can comprehend within the capacity of your humanity. Yet still he's gracious enough to talk our language 
whisper into our little minds and hearts and then lead us to eternity where we will be with him forever.